Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker. And my guest this week is Sanet Rao, who's Chief Business Officer and Global Head of Infosys Finical, a core banking system provider. Sanet, thanks so much for joining us this week. Entirely my pleasure, Joy. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So maybe we can kick off uh, the podcast with a question around I've, I've heard a lot of people saying this, so I'd like to get your opinion, which is that the COVID-19 has really opened the gates to faster innovation in banking and payments. Is this your experience and what are you seeing? Uh, sure, uh, Joy. So I think it has, the short answer is yes, it has uh, certainly opened the gates for innovation. But I do believe that what we've seen in the last three plus months when the whole world has gone into a lockdown is only the tip of the iceberg. I think the real innovation is yet to come down the line. Um, uh, and one can't, you know, but imagine that if something like this had happened 20 years ago, you know, when digital technologies didn't exist, I just wonder how the world would have really, res- you know, responded to uh, the kind of situation we find ourselves in. Uh, mm. I think the important point for us to um, uh, consider is that in the last three months, as the banking industry, as indeed everyone else, as we've adjusted to the new environment, has there been really a lot of innovation or is it really, you know, the world and the banking industry sort of adjusting to a more digital environment? Um, clearly, you know, economies have been hit. There's lower commerce. There's much less spending. Uh, people are at home. Uh, now, in an environment like this here in the UK, for example, when the contactless limit was raised from £30 per transaction to £45, um, it's a moot mm-hmm. point. Was that innovation? And, you know, Mm. or did the pandemic merely hasten a change that might have taken a little longer in normal circumstances, right? So I think there is, uh, there are certainly welcome changes, but I do believe that the real genuine innovation will really come down the line as we settle down into this cliche called new normal. And as we, I think, understand what the new world is going to be like. Having said that, um, clearly there have been some, um, you know, some great examples, I think, of organizations trying to, um, you know, uh, find innovative ways of, um, you know, helping um, their uh, stakeholders. Um, I just want to touch on two of them. Um, and I'll take one from Indonesia and Asia and another one from the US. So in Indonesia, uh, you know, the government had issued a, a store valued card, uh, something like a wallet to all of their, um, you know, citizens uh, for them to use that value uh, for upskilling at some stage. Now, clearly, during COVID-19, you know, there was pressure uh, for families, uh, you know, in terms of meeting their day-to-day expenses. And what the government did was that uh, they tied up with OVO, uh, I think it's part of Mm. uh, Grab, the taxi hailing company, um, uh, to allow people to draw money for their living expenses, you know, from these stored value cards, which were originally meant for upskilling of skills. Uh, which, of course, is a great, uh, you know, initiative. Uh, uh, so that was one change that was made by the government in, you know, working with um, uh, another entity like OVO to bring immediate relief uh, to the common man in the country. Um, the other one I want to mention is about what, uh, you know, FICO or Fair Isaac did. Um, they're obviously well known in their credit scoring space, and they use the normal mm-hmm. parameters there. But specifically, given the pandemic and the possible impact of this uh, for the next, uh, you know, many months, Uh, they've come out with a financial resilience score. uh, And that looks at not just typical credit scoring parameters that we would otherwise see, 
but they've also looked at specific other parameters as a result of the pandemic uh, and therefore making this resilience score a little more contextual if you like um, you know in, in 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 the spirit of uh, you know helping helping potential lenders and borrowers know exactly what the what the capability and the ability of a person to pay might be so there have been some recent examples but like i said i think there will be a lot more innovation down the line um, you know clearly a lot of companies countries are talking about digital currencies um, could that be something that will you know spur action going forward uh, i think mm. there's talk of blockchain intervening given the you know uh, decline of trust and uh, so on and i do believe here in uk and europe particularly given that we are you know a few steps ahead of many other parts of the world as far as open banking is concerned um, i think there'll be a lot of innovation you know around open banking and you know uh, uh, the ability of banks to take a strategic look at their apis uh, so all of these i think are certainly going to happen and therefore the answer to your question is yes i think it has opened the gates for more innovation okay um and you did touch on it a little bit there but i guess my question is once we you know once we've adjusted to this new normal um and once we've sort of taken advantage of what the digital transformation all the things that the banks have done up until this point taken advantage of that you know where do you think the innovation was really going to start to happen do you think the incumbents will be do you think it will be you know more fintechs um I'm going to take a slightly contrarian view here, um, you know, compared to what I think a lot of people are saying. And you know, it's easy to beat uh, a lot of the incumbents and you know um, uh, talk about the fintechs and all the new um, uh, cool stuff that fintechs are doing. Uh, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I think circumstances are going to be forcing both fintechs and incumbents to uh, look at innovation and look at change more carefully. And therefore, eventually, I think it'll be in both. Uh, segments, if you like, uh, certainly fintechs have certain inherited advantages. Um, you know, uh, um, they are you know born on the cloud. Uh, they don't have many of the legacy disadvantages that uh, you know incumbents have. Uh, having said that, they've got limited capital. Um, it's a moot point whether all of the fintechs will survive, and if they do survive this pandemic, in what mm. manner will they survive? So I think there are questions to be asked of both sides. But I think circumstances will force both, uh, you know, incumbents and fintechs to relook at that. And certainly, when you look at, you know, what I just mentioned about open banking, you know, I think banks will take a strategic relook at APIs and find ways of tapping into third-party solutions, you know, many of them from fintechs, and to look at new ways of uh, generating revenues. Um, you know, as far as incumbents is concerned, you know, there's a lot of debate already going on around. Uh, what is the future of branches, for example? And I think while there's no one-size-fits-all approach, and clearly different banks have different ways of dealing with this issue, uh, mm -hmm. I do believe that uh, you know it's not as though branches will suddenly disappear from the face of the earth. I think in different geographies, uh, you know, branches may indeed reduce in number, but I do believe that they will re-emerge um, in a slightly different form, if you like, and we will see some innovation there. Um, uh, in a in a revitalized and in a renewed branch, even though the numbers may reduce. Um, the second thing I strongly believe, uh, you know, as far as incumbents are concerned, Joy, is that uh, at the end of the day, we are all social animals. And I think, uh, you know, while there are lots of advantages of, you know, being forced not to travel, you know, sp spend more time with families and uh, so on at home, I think at the end of the day, we cry for human interaction. 
mm-hmm. therefore, I think in some manner there will be a revival of call centers, if not for anything else, only because it allows a human touch. So it still saves you the trouble of going to a branch, but at the same time, you 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 have the benefit of speaking to another human being at the other end of the line. And therefore, I do believe that there will be a revival of the uh, call center. I just want to sort of round this off by saying one thing. I think as both fintechs and incumbents look at innovation, I think the crucial difference will be for the entities to recognize the difference between digitizing a process versus becoming digital. Clearly, I think the organizations that become digital and have a response to this more than just a technology solution, I think those are the ones that will really be able to capture the opportunities and show more uh, you know, innovation coming to the fore. Uh, and last but not the least, I think you know, fintechs and incumbent banks will indeed come closer uh, as a result of this pandemic. So I think there is, there is a, certainly a play for both of them. It's not going to be one or the other. Excellent. Um, Another thing that a lot of people are talking about is really sort of the banking industry regaining a lot of the trust maybe that it had lost during the global financial crisis over 10 years ago. Um, But my next question is is around, you know, whether it's fintechs or the banks, they're, they're creating these new products and things, but how can they really, these products really deliver real and lasting positive change um, in the new normal? Very relevant question, Joy. And I think the uh, the crucial point there is uh, what you said at the end, which is real and lasting positive change. I think that's very important. And you're absolutely right. Given the erosion of uh, trust in the last 10 years, um, it's, it's, it's a real issue in front of uh, the banks. Um, like I just said in response to the previous question, I think um, distinguishing between digitizing versus becoming digital is going to be a very, very big factor in offering real positive change. Mm. I think the latter clearly offers greater long-term impact and the ability to create more consistent uh, you know, customer experience uh, because it's not just technology. It really transcends beyond just the technology there. Um, and you know, there are lots of examples of banks, despite their large size, who have been able to successfully uh, you know, make a difference for their clients. So I think that's number one. Uh, certainly, the second thing that I think we need to keep in mind is that uh, you know, today we are living in an environment where there is a explosive mis- mix of data on the one hand and social connectivity on the other. Uh, and therefore, nothing is private. Nothing is, you know, curtailed. Uh, banks are going to be, I think, a lot more wary about the fact that uh, a bad experience gets mm-hmm. known to the whole world very, very quickly. And you can't curtail that. And therefore, I think, uh, you know, mm. banks and fintechs are going to be very, very careful uh, and leverage the power of data to really understand the customer and make their, uh, you, know, revolved, you know, revised products and services a lot more contextual um, to what the segment of the customers really is expecting. So I think that's the second element. The third, I think, is that, um, you know, with the proliferation of digital technologies on the one hand and the um, somewhat nascent steps that the banking industry has made so far in terms of leveraging the platform model, um, I think a lot of new uh, change will come about there, which can only benefit you know end customers like you and I. Um, and clearly, there I think banks are recognizing today that for them to make a lasting and positive change, uh, if you take the manufacture of products, for example, um, today we've already seen a lot of examples in industry where banks recognize that it's not just 
the products that they you know uh, manufacture but indeed making uh, products available from other third parties uh, and making those available through your own distribution channel so i think there mm -hmm. are changes both on the manufacturing side and the distribution side and certainly the experiences and indeed the success of the platform model in some of the other adjacent industries i think is going to be a big factor in making uh, you know a positive change there uh, last but not the least uh, you know again uh, since you've talked about a real and lasting positive change, I do believe that the experience of about 10 years ago when the governments had to bail out banks and the huge erosion of trust that happened with mm. the associated incidents that happened at that time, I think banks are going to be very, very conscious with this. Uh, and I do believe that as they embark on adjusting to the new ways of working as a result of COVID-19, and as they relook at you know, various elements of not just their strategy, but indeed, indeed for some of them, even their business models. I think there will be a, a lot of attention being paid to, you know, earning back the trust of the customers. But more importantly, I do believe that, uh, you know, we'll see a big dose of humility from a lot of the banks, because um, I think there was a, there was a question being asked uh, whether the banks were getting too arrogant. And I do believe that the banks will work very hard and leverage the opportunity that the COVID-19 presents, despite mm -hmm. the challenges, to earn the trust and do that with a big dose of humility. So I remain very positive about that, uh, uh, Joy. Awesome. Uh, so, Sanit, my next question is sort of a bit more of a techie question, um, and it's around blockchain. This is blockchain's big moment. Um, and then, you know, why or why not? Um, but then also, where do you think that the technology is making the biggest impact today? Um, so I personally believe that the answer is yes. But having said that, I think we've been saying yes for a few years now. Uh, you know, so blockchain has mm. been on the horizon. Uh, it's not really monetized and not really lived up to the expectation. So will this be the moment where, you know, blockchain changes? Um, I do hope so. Uh, having said that, I think, uh, so So let's look at the situation. I think clearly, uh, you know, given that on a blockchain, the information is, you know, immutable on the one hand, it's encrypted, it, it makes the data exchange more secure um, and addresses uh, some of the concerns around fraud and tampering of, you know, data. Clearly, all of these are relevant uh, concerns today. And from that point of view, I think blockchain is very well placed uh, to address some of these concerns. And then you add the fact that the whole world is working from home and we don't seem to have any idea at the moment of when, you know, we'll be able to, you know, move around more freely. And I think, therefore, the organizations will step up uh, investment in, um, you know, on the one hand, digital and automation technologies, but also mm. there'll be a lot more attention towards, you know, employees accessing enterprise systems remotely, uh, you know, the heightened concerns around data and security and Privacy. So I think blockchain fits in very well uh, around many of these. So there seems to be a good base on which uh, blockchain can sort of leverage off. Um, I think specifically the areas where we might see action, um, while there's been a decline in the number of payments and payments revenue certainly has been, you know, hit in the short term because uh, business is not being done. I think, um, mm. you know, payments and settlements using blockchain, we've seen examples of that in in recent times um, i think there will be certainly uh, some action there um, we talked a little earlier about digital currency and the fact that many countries and indeed private enterprise if you take libra and facebook for that matter um, i do believe that digital currency uh, might just be you know uh, one of the other big um,
positive fallouts out of the uh, you know current environment as far as blockchain and crypto is concerned. Um, mm. There's been a lot of attention, obviously, about around track and trace and provenance in every country. Um, given the given that the governments are finding ways to you know um, secure the health of the uh, individuals on the one hand, but at the same time try and find a controlled environment where people can move around. So I think traceability along with provenance will will possibly offer some some use cases to sort of come out of that as far as the blockchain is concerned. Uh, the one big area where there's been a big hit, obviously, has been supply chains. Um, and I think, uh, you know, blockchain and the associated uh, features of security and traceability will create use cases specifically around supply chains. Um, 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 and, you know, associated with supply chain comes the question of financing and banks obviously have a big role there. So I think there'll be some mm. use cases there. Uh, and last but not the least, I think as and when business starts picking up, uh, the other area where we could see some interesting innovation using blockchain is in the area of trade. Uh, so trade finance is obviously one of the more cumbersome and, uh, you know, document heavy, if you like, uh, processes within the bank today. It's not one of those areas where We've seen a lot of digitization compared to some of the other processes in banks. Uh, so potentially, you know, trade finance could be another area where uh, you know blockchain will will um, come up with an answer. So I do I do remain optimistic. Having said that, I think we do need to recognize that you know blockchain's been around for a while, but it's never really lived up to um, you know the expectations of the last few years. But it could well change now with the pandemic. Uh, Sana is really around what needs to happen for a greater adoption of blockchain, specifically, let's say, in the trade finance space, do you think? Um, I think certainly there'll be, um, you know, there, there'll be, I think, a lot more attention from regulators and governments and industry bodies around how some kind of a, a framework can be set up towards uh, making this more scalable. Scalable in the sense, not in terms of just handling the volumes, but to give, I think, the different parties the confidence that something like this, uh, you know, can be done at scale. I think the other big area, of course, is that, uh, you know, in, in, in transactions such as this, there is data being exchanged. Uh, and given the sensitivity around data um, and the, the, the various measures that uh, different uh, industry bodies and indeed, uh, you know, regulatory agencies are taking around finding the right balance between allowing customers to share their data but at the same time creating a framework so that you know individuals don't get compromised uh, so I, I do believe that you know there will be some regulation that will come around to make this more scalable and i, I think that's a good thing because i'm personally not a proponent of uh, you know leveraging new technology and doing things at scale but really not having any regulatory framework around that i think regulation is desired i think it's good Mm. Uh, so long as it finds the right balance between, you know, uh, uh, bringing the right level of attention, but at the same time not sort of being very constrictive, you know, very restrictive in its in its usage. So I do believe there'll be some regulatory attention towards this for sure. So my last question is, what role do you play in creating a better world after the pandemic? Um, what really should they be doing today? You know, that's a great question, um, Joy, and I think a very relevant question given the environment we're in. And certainly, uh, you know, when it comes to the role that corporations and, uh, you know, uh, management of companies play, um, uh, I think this is a question that was receiving a lot of attention even before uh, COVID-19. And certainly, I think 
it's become even more relevant now. Um, we must remember that it was as recently as just a decade ago that you know the government uh, bailed out many banks because of the financial meltdown. And at that time, you know, a lot of people accused banks of being, you know, greedy on the one hand and irresponsible uh, on the other. And clearly, the erosion of trust uh, happened significantly at that time. Now, if we fast forward and go to just last year, I think it was in September of 2019, when, um, you know, the United Nations General Assembly, uh, uh, you know, the 130 banks from 49 countries who launched the principles of responsible banking under the aegis of the United mm -hmm. Nations and one program. Uh, and I think the objective of this framework was to help banks of all types to align their business strategy with societal goals. And to my mind, it was probably the first initiative that a United Nations kind of a body was trying to bring convergence between, um, you know, the bank's business performance on the one hand and the larger interests of society um, uh, on the other. And we've seen, you know, we've seen, um, uh, you know, banks already making um, changes, uh, not necessarily because of the uh, UN Charter, but indeed even otherwise. Uh, so in Singapore, you know, I think three of the big banks have already stopped coal lending, which was a very lucrative uh, business for them. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, uh, you know, there is still, I think, a view saying that the large banks are not doing quite enough, um, you know, to support sustainable finance. Um, uh, I think there was a report uh, from the World Resources Institute that said that only about just over 20 of the 50 largest private banks had committed to, you know, financing sustainable projects. Uh, having said that, of course, there are, uh, you know, other banks who, who, you know, who thrive in a situation like this. Triodos Bank, for example, um, promotes sustainable and transparent banking. And, you know, it does not see any conflict between a focus on people and the planet on the one hand and a good financial return on the other. Um, so it's mm -hmm. got capitalism at its soul, uh, but it doesn't, you know, uh, throw away the larger social objective, if you like. Uh, I think there's one other change, Joy, that I do hope, uh, you know, will, will, will be seen more prominently going forward. And this is around, um, you know, senior leadership uh, in organizations, including banks. Uh, you know, hitherto, I think when banks chose their CEOs uh, for the future, succession planning, you know, uh, focused a lot on the uh, business performance and other, you know, business skills that the candidate brought to the table. Um, and those are, of course, relevant and they will continue to remain relevant. But I do believe that going forward, given the importance of being a responsible, uh, you know, uh, citizen in the world today, I think, uh, you know, organizations, including banks, when they look at their CEOs and indeed their senior management in future, I think they're going to be uh, placing a lot of attention also on the accomplishment of individuals in the areas of sustainability, you know, ethical practices um, mm. and other related areas. And I think today the CEOs, you know, given that they are responsible for the cultural transformation, they're responsible for the DNA of the organization. Uh, they're responsible for the behavior that everyone in the organization sort of, uh, you know, demonstrates. I think this is going to be very important uh, and a very relevant uh, and, a, uh, you know, a, a change that I think, you know, we've been trying for. Um, fundamentally, I think what will happen is that the question that banks and indeed many other companies were grappling with in the past, which is that, you know, can they do well on the one hand, but also do good? Uh, I think those answers can easily be found because I think those lines between mm. doing well and doing good will start to blur. And, uh, you know, the day we find that responsible banking practices are integrated into the business model of the institution, 
I think we'll find uh, the right kind of an answer and the right kind of a behavior. So I'm personally very positive about this. And I do believe that, you know, while in the last decade we've seen a new voice emerge, uh, the current pandemic is a great opportunity, you know, for the banking industry to show genuine care for society. And if they do that, I think it will go a very, very long way in regaining the trust that they've sort of lost in the last few years. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Savit. And thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast. And follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.